Father, we, um, well, even as that video just reminded us, as Kenneth said, we're desperate to know you. We're people who want to hear from you, who want to know your character, who want to be shaped by it. God, we want the realities of Christmas that we just celebrated, that, God, you've come to us, and you're coming for us again to permeate all of our lives, that we're a a people with an identity, with a God who loves us, with a purpose to run after, and with a future that is settled and secure. And so, God, we want 2022 to be a year where we know you more deeply than we've ever known you where we walk with you more closely than we've ever walked with you, where we grasp onto the realities of the gospel more deeply than we've ever grabbed onto them in our entire lives. And so this is our prayer, God. This is our prayer for this congregation for 2022. Even as we read your word together, would you meet us there? Would you fulfill your promise that your word never returns void in our lives? That even as we're about to see in Psalm 1 that there are results of being in scripture that are promised to us, that we become a kind of person. We want to become different people, God. We want to become people who love you deeply, but also love others deeply. We want to become a kind of people that our faith overflows into the lives of others. We want to become a kind of people that live attractive holy, steady, solid lives. And so, God, we pray that. We pray over this next year that you would meet us in this process as we read this word together, that we would be a people on a journey together. Would you protect us from the lies of the enemy? Would you protect us from the attacks of the enemy? Would you protect us against our own minds that might tell us We're not capable of doing something like this. It doesn't really matter. Nothing's really changing. And God, meet us this coming year. God, we continue to pray for so many in our congregation who are mourning. So many new widows and widowers in our midst. Pain even amplified by experiencing loss in the midst of Christmas season. Empty chairs at tables that were once filled. Meet the needs of the hurting in our congregation. Many of us hurting for other reasons, God. Our friends aren't walking with you. Our kids aren't walking with you. We're having pain or loss in other areas of our lives. Many of us walking silently through these things. Nobody knows. Many of us maybe want to be married but aren't married want kids but can't have kids, don't have kids, battling mental health issues that are invisible to the world around us but a a daily present part of our lives. Oh God, we need your presence. Have mercy on us. We need your intervention. Have mercy on us. We need your help. And again, God, we pray, even as we turn to this word and turn our attention to a new year, change change us into a new people that this new year comes with new mercies. Just like every morning and every night and every lunch break comes with new mercies. You're a faithful God who's merciful to us. And so meet us even in this time and show your mercy, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Blessed are those who come to church the day after Christmas. For you will inherit the kingdom of God and the people who slept in too. 
We're going to read Psalm 1 together. As we turn our attention to a new year, I want Psalm 1 uh, to shamelessly be my one last plea with you to join us on this journey through Scripture that we're doing together. I think there's no better place in the Bible you could go to be convinced that you need to be in the Word than Psalm 1, and so that's my hope and prayer. So I want to be up front. This is not a bait and switch. That's the sales pitch this morning, to be in God's Word all next year, to go on this journey through Scripture with us. Let's let Psalm 1 lead us there. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Jen and I aren't big movie people. We don't watch a ton of movies throughout the year, but something (coughs) changes at Christmas. I don't know if you're like that, but there's like a set of Christmas movies that we just have to watch. Like, we cannot miss them. I won't go through them here because I'll just create a debate between us later about what's good and what's not good. But there's certain ones that we have to watch, and one of those is The Family Man. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. You might debate that it's a Christmas movie. It is. Uh, basically, just imagine a good version of It's a Wonderful Life. Like, if A Wonderful Life was exciting, I'm kidding. I know it's offensive to many of you. Uh, it's just kind of a retake on the Wonderful Life story, but it's about this guy played by Nicolas Cage who's super successful in life. He's got all that he could ever want. He's, got, he's an investment broker. He's working on this big deal. He's got all the money, uh, all the women, all the luxurious things. He lives in a penthouse in New York. All that he could ever want in life, he's totally satisfied. And then he meets this man in a convenience store on the way home from work on Christmas Eve. This is why it's a Christmas movie. Uh, he meets this man, and this man says, hey, I'm going to give you a glimpse That's what he calls it. I'm going to give you a glimpse into what your life could have been like if you had made a different decision, namely, if you had married the girl that you dated in college that you left at the airport and instead pursued business instead of pursuing her. I'm going to show you what your life could have been like. So you can imagine the scene. He wakes up on Christmas morning. He goes from penthouse to New Jersey suburb. He wakes up with two kids in the bed, a dog slobbering on him, a wife that he doesn't know, past girlfriend, and it's like, boom, just new life all of a sudden like that. And it's funny, you can imagine how it plays out. This guy, super successful, transformed to this like suburban life with all of these responsibilities. He's a retail tire salesman, which you can imagine what he, how he feels about that. But it gives him this glimpse of what his life could have been like. And as you could probably guess, by the end, once he's tasted it, it's all he wants. This life that he could have had, he can never not go back to it. And so, but he comes out of the glimpse, he goes back to the life he had, and he does everything he can to make the glimpse become a reality. This is what Psalm 1 does for us. Psalm 1 wants to give you a glimpse, a picture into your future of what life could be like, of the kind of person that you could be. And we see it from the very first word in Psalm 1, this word blessed, that you could be a blessed person. That word blessed is really probably translated better happy. That's all it really means. 
Throughout scripture, the word delight and joy and bless, those are all interchangeable words that really mean the same thing, to be happy. And Psalm 1 wants, us to give, wants to give us a glimpse of the happy life. I looked at 10 different polls this week from stretching across decades. You ask anybody at any point in human history, what's the one thing you want most in life? And every single poll down to the last one, number one answer, happiness. Without question, happiness. Blaise Pascal says this, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire of both attended with different views. They will never take the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of man, even of those who hang themselves. And I think if you really look at your life, if you really can examine your motives, if you can really get deep, most of all that we do Choices we make, people we befriend, things we don't do, things we take part in, things we choose not to take part in, have this one great end. We want to be happy. We want to be satisfied. We want to live this blessed life that Psalm 1 is talking about. It's even written into the foundational document of our country, is it not? Three un- unalienable rights, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. We want it. But I want you to think this morning, as we go into 2022, as we turn over to a new year, ask yourself honestly, are you happy? Are you happy? Let's let's frame the question this way. If nothing in your life changed from this point forward, if you kept the same relationship status, the same job, the same address, the same church, the same friend groups, if nothing changed, would you be satisfied or not? Are you happy where you are right now? Psalm 34 says that the blessed man, the happy man, is the man who lacks nothing. Would you say that in your life? I lack nothing. I have all that I want, all that I need. I live this kind of life that this song is describing. Is that life, kind of life even possible? If it is, how do you get it? There's really kind of two views on happiness in life. And it basically breaks down to when you're young, you think that happiness is inevitable. That the people who don't end up happy are basically the people that screwed their life up, right? The older you get, not to offend anyone who consider themselves old, the le- you think that happiness is unattainable. That you really tried most of everything there is to try in life to get happiness, and it's, it's just unattainable. And so two ways to approach life, to think about happiness, that happiness is inevitable or happiness is unattainable. Psalm 1 wants to give us a different perspective. Happiness is neither inevitable or unattainable, but it is possible. It is possible if we live like the Psalm 1 man, this paradigm of happiness, showing us three things that we want to look at together this morning. First of all, what not to do if you want to be happy. Secondly, what to do if you want to be happy. And number three, the results of living this way. First of all, what not to do. What not to do. There are a couple different ways you could divide this psalm. You probably saw it as we were reading through it. It's describing two paths or two destinies or two kinds of people. Here's kind of how I want you to think about it this morning. It's really describing two kinds of formation. It's really describing formation into a happy person or deformation into a miserable person. That's really the kind of two people that Psalm 1 is describing for us. Look back at verse 1. 
And let me show you what I mean. It says, first of all, what not to do. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. I want you to see this is a progression. This is a person on a path. This is a person moving somewhere. The first thing we see is that this man isn't walking in the counsel of the wicked. This is a man who realizes everybody has an opinion. Everybody has advice on how you should live life, and they're not afraid to share it with you. Have you noticed that in your life? And he didn't even go through the global pandemic of 2020. Like, he didn't didn't even know. He didn't even have social media. And he knows everybody's got thoughts on where happiness comes from. Everybody's got advice. Everybody's pushing me in one direction or another. He realizes that he's always being formed, that he's always being counseled in life, that every TV show and every advertisement Every time he sits down to watch Netflix, every politician that he listens to, everybody's got a worldview. Everybody's got a perspective. Everybody's got advice. They've got counsel on what it means to have the happy life. He realizes that he lives in a world that's trying to form him into something. Do you realize that? That all of life is formation. We're always being formed into someone. He realizes that. And he doesn't uh, sit in the, or sorry, stand in the counsel of the wicked. Secondly, he doesn't stand in the way of sinners. Stand in the way of sinners. So first he doesn't, he's walking. He's not walking in the counsel of the wicked. Then he doesn't stop and stand in the way of sinners. You can see the progression. First he's walking, and then he stops and says, yeah, that sounds right. That's more than bad advice. That's taking in bad advice and going, okay, I'm going to now live my life this way. I'm going to now follow this path. I'm going to now pursue whatever these people are telling me to pursue. And then finally, he's no longer walking. He's no longer standing. He's now sitting with the scoffers. The path that he started to walk, the formation that he started on by the bad counsel that led to the way of sin, eventually led to him sitting with the scoffers. To sit with someone is to say, I belong here. The scoffers are the one who mock God's people, mock God's ways, And they're the furthest from repentance, the furthest from God. And here's the whole point. Here's the whole point of verse 1. You're in a state of formation. There's always competing advice, competing worldviews, competing perspectives, competing thoughts on happiness and how to get it. And everyone is always trying to get you to move down their path to get you to buy what they're selling. And so I just want you to ask this question. Do you realize those are the waters that you swim in? that you're always being formed, that you're always being shaped, that you're always being led down a path, that you're always in a state of formation towards happiness or deformation towards misery. That all the time you're thinking, which influences your behaving, which ultimately dictates your belonging. Listen to Cornelius Plantinga. He says, sow a thought and reap a deed. Sow a deed, reap another deed. Sow some deeds, reap a habit. Sow some habits, reap a character. Sow a character, reap two thoughts. Then the thoughts we pursue, then the thoughts we have pursue careers of their own. This is the idea. That as we're listening to this council and walking down this path and eventually get to the seat of mockers, that we're being formed into something. And the only question is, who or what are you allowing to influence that process? Um, I don't know if you saw recently, the Wall Street Journal did a study on TikTok. If you don't know what TikTok is, you don't need to know, you're probably better off. (laughs) Ignore this part of the sermon. 
and just pray. Uh, but if you do know what TikTok is, or I'll give you a brief description. It's short videos, that you, it's a social media app, short videos that people make, and it could be about anything. It could be about cooking, it could be about golf, it could be about how to garden, it could be about anything. Tons of videos. And it curates your feed to figure out what they, it thinks you like. So anyways, the Wall Street Journal did this uh, study investigation of sorts into TikTok, and what they did was they created dozens of bots, uh, which are fake accounts, to pretend to be teenagers and to go onto TikTok, and they would give them specific instructions. They would say, here's the kind of teenager we want you to be. And what they were trying to figure out is the kind of videos that TikTok would show to the teenagers. We tracking so far, even if you didn't know what TikTok was 30 seconds ago? Good, okay. So, uh, so what they found was that the TikTok algorithm was far more powerful than anybody had previously thought. It could figure out how long you lingered on a video. It could figure out how the hashtags that were in that video and curate the kind of videos that you were going to see next. And so here's what it found out. It told one teenager, hey, you had a bad day at school today or whatever. You're, you're feeling a little down. So this is a bot, by the way, not a real teenager. The teenage bot uh, found a video that was about a breakup because it had hashtag sad in the comments, right? So it was like this person, him and his girlfriend broke up, just him driving down the road, just song playing, it's very sad. Kind of liked that. He lingered on it, watched it. So it, the algorithm started to figure out, oh, he likes videos that are sad. So it started to give more videos that were sad, more videos about breakups. Uh, that hashtag sad eventually led this account to videos about depression. So he would watch people talking about their struggles with depression and what they thought you should do and where, what, all this kind of thing. Eventually it led the account to videos about how to commit suicide if you felt like committing suicide. Different ways you could do it. Different means you could do it, how to get away with it, how to hide it from people. This is a very extreme example, right? But it's a picture of the fact that we are being led down a path, that we are being moved somewhere, that we are being formed into something. And if we don't realize that, if we don't realize that we're being formed into people by the things we surround ourselves with, by the things we pay attention to, we're already missing the point of Psalm 1. We're being formed, and it starts with thoughts that lead to behavior that eventually lead to belonging. Listen to what John Mark Comer says. He says, what you give your attention to is the person you will become. Put it another way. The mind is the portal into the soul, and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, we become what we give our attention to, for better or for worse. All right, social media is easy, right? Can we do some harder ones? How about the fact that we're being formed by whatever 24-hour news network that you like to watch? So you tune into 24-hour news network. What's the message? Happiness is found on one side of the aisle. Misery found on the other side of the aisle. If we could just get the other side of the aisle to see what we're thinking on this issue, to understand how they're supposed to see this, they would be happy. Do you remember how much better it was when blank was in, in office? That wasn't inserted for a cuss word. That was just fill in the name of whoever you're thinking of. That could have gone a lot of different ways. Uh, look how it is now, hypothetically, with so-and-so in office. The path to happiness is to get the right people in the right places to fulfill the right policies and get us on the path back to happiness, right? What if that's your formation? That's what you're taking in. That's where you're being led all the time. Netflix is forming you. Netflix is always uh, telling you subconsciously the way to happiness is just to check out. 
The way to happiness is just to sit in front of your TV, get an episode on. We'll play the next episode. You don't even have to click it. Don't you worry about it. You don't think about those issues you've got in life. Uh, Netflix is subconsciously telling us all the time, leading us down this path, that happiness is just by disconnecting. Materialism is counseling us. We can get anything. I forgot to get my wife. She's not here, so I won't say this in the second service. I forgot to get my wife one thing I meant to get her for Christmas. I ordered it, and I had it overnighted for free. I had it the next day on December 23rd. I had it on December 24th. That's amazing. Subconsciously, I'm being led down a path there. I can have anything I want faster than I've ever been able to have it. Where's that taking me? Where's that thought forming me into? It forms you into this kind of person. Just get the next thing, then you'll be satisfied. Just get the next thing, then you'll be happy. The bigger house, the better car, whatever it is. Fill in the blank with whatever it is for you. We're always being formed into something. And what makes this difficult is these are the waters we swim in. We don't even realize it. It reminds me of that great David Foster Wallace parable from his commencement speech at Keon College. He said, there are two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, morning, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit. And then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the blank is water? That was a cuss word that I took out for you. You've got to be careful about your blanks. This is it. These are the waters that we swim in all the time. The formation is happening to us from the outside. The question is, do we realize it? Are we careful about it? Do we understand that we're being led somewhere? The Psalm 1 man does. He understands what's happening, and so he chooses a different kind of formation. Point number two, what, what to do? We've seen what not to do. What, what do we do? Look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This is so interesting. All of verse 1 was saying, don't associate with people who give bad advice. Don't, walk, don't stand with the sinners. Don't sit with the mockers. And so you might, you might expect it to say, here's what you do. Listen to people who give wise counsel. Sit with people who are on the good path. Uh, stand with people who are doing righteous things. But what it says, the opposite of all those things, the opposite of that kind of formation, the kind of formation that you want is to delight in the law of the Lord. We have to learn to delight in the law of the Lord. Here, here, this kind of flies in the face of what we think typically, because here's what we typically think about happiness. We typically think happiness comes from external change. I need a new diet, a new workout plan, a new spouse, a new girlfriend, a new boyfriend, a career change, whatever it is. If I could just get external change, internal happiness will come. Here's what Psalm 1 is telling us. Happiness comes from internal change. Happiness comes, namely, from changing what we love. We have to learn to delight in the law of the Lord. This word law is just another word for instruction. It's talking about all of God's word, not just his laws, but all of God's word. Not just the Ten Commandments or something like that, but all that God has said. If we want to have a blessed life, we have to learn to love every word that comes from his mouth. Because we're ultimately formed by what we love. This goes even deeper than what we said earlier about your thoughts lead to your actions, lead to your destiny. It starts actually with what you love. Because what you love, you'll think about. I was thinking this week about when I first started dating Jen. Uh, I never, when, when we first started falling in love, more than when we first started dating, when we first started falling in love, I never had to wake up and go, all right, what, 
what amount of my day do I want to dedicate to thinking about Jen today? A couple hours, probably appropriate, right? I never had to think, do I feel like calling her today? I never had to think, okay, when's the last time I did a date? Do I have to do a date? No, I was thinking instead, I did a date yesterday. Is tomorrow too soon? Like, these things are happening naturally because I'm delighting in her. I'm loving her. I'm learning her. And that delight leads to action naturally. It's not a duty. It's not drudgery for me to do those things. It's delight. I want to do those things. They come naturally. That that love leads to thought, leads to action for her. Psychologist Timothy Wilson believes that only about 5% of what we do in a given day is the outcome of deliberate choices we make. The rest of our actions are managed below the surface, namely by what we love. That what you love drives you towards all your thoughts and all your actions and all your decisions. Someone's telling us the exact same thing. It was there long before psychologist Timothy Wilson. The blessed man delights in the law of the Lord. That's where it starts for him. So maybe you're sitting here, you're thinking, it's great. I know, we're about to do this journey through scripture thing. I'm supposed to love God's word. I'm supposed to read God's word. Can we just be honest? I don't. It is duty. It is drudgery. It's not delight. What am I supposed to do then? The Bible has an answer, very thankfully. Two things we can do. If Bible reading for you is mostly duty, very little delight, what do we do? First of all, we pray for new taste buds. Pray for new taste buds. It was exactly this day, a year ago, uh, that I got COVID. Well, yesterday. We're seeing our Christmas dinner, and won't tell you who, but we got COVID from someone. Whole family got it. And I'll never forget, the first way I realized that I got COVID was on New Year's Eve. I made a pot of coffee. I make lots of pots of coffee. I love coffee. If you know me, you know that. Uh, And so I made a pot of coffee on Christmas Eve, and it tasted horrible, like burnt rubber basically. The bottom of the gas station coffee pot, if you have to get a gas station, you know what I'm talking about? Times like 10. It's awful. It, that lasted for a month that, I, that coffee tasted like that, which is suffering for someone who loves coffee. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't just keep drinking coffee even though it tasted bad. I stopped. Because it turns out your taste buds are extremely important for things that you enjoy, for things that you want to do. So here's what we see in Scripture. If we don't have the taste buds, if we're not desiring Scripture, we're not going to go there. We're just not. There's only so much willpower we have. There's only so much duty-keeping we can do. And so we pray. We beg God for new taste buds. Look at Psalm 119. This is a very long psalm, okay? And look at the two things, two of the things the psalmist says in Psalm 119. In verse 18, he prays, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Different sense, but sense like taste, smell, that sort of thing. But here's what he's saying. I can't see wondrous things in your law. Open my eyes. Give me new taste buds. I want to taste it. I want to desire it. Give it to me. And then this is what he says in verse 103. How sweet are thy words to my taste. This is what you pray. If it's all duty, no delight, you come to God and you realize it's not natural for me to love your word. It feels like duty. It does, it's not something I want to do. Give me new taste buds. Help me to desire it. God loves to answer that prayer. God loves to answer that prayer. Look at John uh, 16, 24. Jesus says this on the night 
before he died, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Look at this next line. That your joy may be full. What prayer would God more delight in answering than a prayer for joy through his word? That you say to God, God, in Psalm 1, you tell me that delighting in your word is the path to happiness. I want to delight. Would you give me new taste buds to enjoy? So that's the first thing we do. The second thing we do is we meditate on eternal truths. We meditate on eternal truths. Look back at verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The happy man is the man who loves the word of God so much that he just can't stop thinking about it. It just comes to his mind all the time, day and night. And so if what we realize is that if we want to delight in God's word, we have to meditate on it until abstract truths become fundamental realities. Meditate on it until what's abstract about God and the gospel becomes fundamental and true and concrete to you. I don't know what you think about when you think about meditation. I had my senior year of college... Uh, I had one hour left that I needed to graduate, along with a few other things. But I needed to fill it with one hour of something. And they offered a class at Clemson called Meditation and Relaxation that was one hour long. Here's what we did every class period. We'd show up at random places, a ballroom on campus, the botanical gardens, the middle of the football field, random places. And every single time, she would tell us, lay down and play some music and light candles or whatever we would do. And she would always say, empty your mind of all your problems, Right? I didn't learn a lot from this class, in case you, this is college. My parents paid for that. Okay, so anyways, <laughs> empty your mind of everything that's there. Christian meditation is exactly the opposite. Here's what Christian meditation is. Christian meditation says, fill your mind with eternal truths that have eternal value and think on it over and over and over again until the abstract becomes reality. I've heard it described like a cow. I don't know if you know about cows' digestive patterns. I don't really know much, but this is what I've read. Apparently, cows chew some grass, go to sleep, and throw it back up in their mouths, chew it again, get some more nutrients, swallow it, go to sleep, spit it back up, chew it again. You're like, it's too close to Christmas for an example like this. (laughs) This is meditation, becoming like a cow. (laughs) That we learn... We read something in God's word, and we bring it into our minds again, and chew, chew, chew. Take every last ounce of it that we can. Delight every last bit of it that we can, every nutrient that we can get from it. And so we become like a cow. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 39. He says, my heart grew hot within me. While I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Here's the point of meditation. Think yourself hot. We said that desire leads to meditation. The opposite also works. Meditation will increase your desire. So here's one thing you can do. We're going to be reading four chapters a day if you're doing the full plan or thereabout. That's a lot of scripture to take in. My suggestion to you would be get a note card every day or open the note note app on your phone and write down one verse. Just one verse from that day. And when you have a free minute that day, when you're driving, I'm advocating for texting and driving in this one circumstance, pull it back up, read it again, chew on it again, and see if that meditation doesn't lead to delight for you. 
See if some staggering promise that God makes to you, some gospel truth, some piece of the character of God, whatever it is that you read that day that your mind or your heart latches onto and just chew it again and again and again. Take every last thing out of it and see if the delight in your heart doesn't start to rise up again. And then lastly, we want to look at the results of this, the results of the happy life very quickly. Look at verse three. We'll take three results quickly from this. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. So the first result is that we develop a root system. We develop a root system. I don't know if you've heard the word deconstruction or not. It's a pretty common word in uh, evangelical circles today. Um, A lot of famous Christians from the past are deconstructing, which means basically this. Deconstruction is the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you were once taught. So basically, you have this faith, you deconstruct it down, sometimes it's just gone and you're now an atheist, sometimes you build it back up, but it hardly ever looks like what it once was. I read this great article from Professor Brad East this week. You can Google Brad East, Professor of Theology at Abilene Christian University, and he talks about this idea of his students coming into his classroom marked by a world of deconstruction. I want to read this to you. This is what he says he does. I build, which is to say I construct or reconstruct. It's all foundations, floor plans, building permits, fashioning of pillars in my classroom. We don't tear down an inch, not if I can help it. The reason is simple. My students don't have anything to deconstruct. Deconstruction implies the demolition of a building, but for the most part, My students don't walk into classes with mental palaces furnished with gold, granite, and crystal. All too often, their faith is a house of cards. One gust of wind, one gentle puff of the air will knock it down. I'm not interested in that. It's my business to fortify, to strengthen, to secure, to ground their faith, not to tear it down. I want sturdy foundations and load-bearing walls. I want to build houses on rock because the storm is coming. It's already here. I'm giving students who, for the most part, believe already or want to believe. So what do I say to them? I say, guess what? It's true. All of it. You can trust what you've been taught. Though you may not have been given the resources to explore the how or why or the what for, Jesus really is God's son. He really did rise from the dead. He really is the Lord and Savior of the cosmos. Not one word is meant to undermine the faith they brought with them into the course. It's meant to bolster and stabilize it. This is the picture of Psalm 1. That we plan ourselves by the streams of water of God's word and we grow our roots as deep as possible into the soil so that when the storm comes, we're not shaken. So that when cancer comes or when a huge fight in your marriage comes, or when death in your family comes, or when mental health uh, crisis comes, when whatever comes, we're not shaken because we've grown our roots as deeply as they can go, stabilizing our lives by the word of God. Secondly, we bear fruit. We bear fruit. The second result of the kind of person who delights in the word of God is they will bear fruit in their season. That's an intentional phrase that the psalmist uses, that word, that phrase, in its season. That we can't just come to God's word and go, okay, I'm going to read this once and I want fruit right now. Fruit, 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 fruit. No, we plant ourselves by those streams and in our season we bear fruit. That by getting in the streams of God's character, God's gospel, God's promises, that eventually in our lives fruit comes. It's inevitable. 
you can become the kind of person that you always dreamed of being. That this kind of person is gentle and gracious and compassionate and generous and loving and kind. You will bear fruit in your season. And then thirdly, you do not wither. You do not wither. I'm terrible with any kind of plants. It sounds simple enough, right? You water it and it grows and you water it again. It's like the whole, that's it, basically. I just can't do it. Uh, it dies every time. Except for these two hydrangeas we have in our backyard that our aunt gave us that just won't die. Like they literally won't die. I think they're the strongest plants ever created. And we always forget to water them. But you know you forget to water them because their leaves start to wither, right? And they're pointing downward or whatever. You can just tell. I don't know. I was talking, to this, talking about this to someone who knows way more about plants than me one day, and they said, did you know the hydrangeas are one of the only plants that take water in by their leaves? If that's not true, don't tell me. I don't want to change my illustration. Just go with it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I decided I would take like a hose and just spray the leaves and see what happened. And what happened was immediately, within minutes, those things look like they have life. They're pointing up again. They've come back to life. Many of us live life like that, though. Because guess what? Day later, wilted again. Because they can take in a little water by their leaves, but it's not the deep source of nourishment they need right at their roots. And so 2022 could be this for you. It could be the year where your whole life and all your happiness isn't dependent on whether you had a good day at work or not. It's not dependent on how well your family is doing, your kids are doing at that moment. It's not dependent on whether you get the promotion or whatever it is. You have a much deeper source of happiness. That you're like an evergreen that never withers because you've planted yourself by these streams of water. I want to do one last thing before we close, and that's just to meditate on verse 6. Let's practice what we're talking about. I just want to show you two things from verse 6 in a way that you can chew on God's word. So look back at verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. First thing, notice that it says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, not the righteous know the way of the Lord. Here's the great hope of the gospel. Not that you figure it all out and you get to God, but that God comes and he knows you. This is what we just celebrated at, at Christmas, right? Not that you figured out a way to make it up the mountaintop to find God, but that God came and he found you. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, not the righteous figured out the way of the Lord. And then secondly, this word know in this passage is the word yada. It's a Hebrew word. It means like experiential knowledge. It's used a lot for romantic relationships. So-and-so knew his wife. That's this deep, personal, intimate knowing. Here's what it's saying. God knows you deeper than anybody knows you. He knows things about you that nobody knows about you, that you don't even really maybe even know about yourself, which means he knows the depths of wickedness in you. He knows the depths of sin in you. And when everyone else would run when they knew that, he stays. That as Tim Keller says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is what it's like to be loved by God. And so you take something like that and you chew it. And you digest it. Bring it back up again. 
until you believe it. So that abstract truth becomes foundational reality in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for this word. That Psalm 1 gives us this picture of what life could be like for us. That all the truths that are found in your word, the things we can learn about your character and your gospel and your son, that all of that can be found here and that we can plan ourselves by that stream and that because of that, we can build deep roots and we can have leaves that do not wither and we can be people who are fruitful. And so we pray, God, we pray that we would look at this paradigm, this blessed man, this righteous man of Psalm 1, and we would order our lives in this way, that we would realize that all around us there are things that are threatening to form us into people that we don't want to be. That thoughts come into our minds, which lead to actions, which lead to character, which lead to our destiny. God, make us like this Psalm 1 man who plants himself by streams of water, who delights in your word, who meditates on it day and night, and transform us into new people. Do that this year as we read this word together. That next year, any of us in this room can make one of these testimony videos to say, God was faithful. He showed up. He changed me. I knew him deeper. God, we desire that in 2022. Would you be gracious enough to give it to us? Give us taste buds to love your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to close this service singing a very